Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast. Oh, my goodness. It's July 11th, and that means it's the middle of the summer. Summer blockbusters are upon us. They're on our face. They're on our bodies. We can't escape Tom Cruise running, things blowing up. And on Fear and Loathing in Cinema, we're getting into summer blockbusters. Today, I'm Brian Kluger, and I'm joined by the host with the most, Preston Barta, the man who's the vicious life-sucking bitch to uh <laughs> to to this podcast preston how are you i'm good and you're brian kluger you may just sneak away with our life partners for some animal cookie fun in a warehouse hangar makeout sessions that's true i you know i like to make out so um <laughs> we'll hopefully we'll do that soon uh for a certain oppenheimer screening but mm. uh our 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 other co-host dan moran is out today i think he was yelling at things hurling at him in space i think so he lost his voice and he's not here with us right no, yeah he's he's getting that rock hound treatment and strapped into his chair and too much trouble too much trouble too much trouble, but we have an amazing and legendary guest today to replace him, and hopefully many more times. We have a guy that knows the movie we're talking about so well, I think he's seen it more times than all three of us combined. And maybe, you know, I, I'm very excited about this because I've met this person before at screenings. He's super cool. He does podcasts himself. He's in the movie industry. Welcome, J.D. Perry. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, when Preston showed me this podcast a few months back, I immediately binged everything that you guys ever made. And of course, I continue with it weekly. I love the Small Soldiers episode, and I love what you guys do for movies that maybe you don't think about very often. But once you guys talk about them, I immediately have to go and see them. So I'm very excited to be here. Well, thank, well you, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Small Soldiers was good. Um, I got to ask you, JD, when when did you start watching all these movies? How did you get into the podcasting arena? When did you start getting to the full, deep gravy and potatoes of film? I would say it probably really started for me in high school. That's, I think, really what it came down to was anytime that we wanted to hang out with girls or other people from different schools that we didn't necessarily go to our high school the one place that we would congregate would be the mall and the movie theater to, you know, check out what was going on. But I always was very, very interested in cameras and lighting and 
I remember being just mind blown about how people can take months and months and put these screenplays together and have amazing dialogue and amazing narrative and just go shoot it and then make it so consumable for people that just like to go to the movies. And uh, for podcasting, that really started back when I was doing my media internship with the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, I would say like three or four years ago. Go Cowboys. Um, that's right. Go Cowboys. I, uh, I, I had a lot of good time with that, but I was kind of more behind the scenes, uh, really getting to the nuts and bolts of what makes a really good podcast and the production side. Um, but then when I got on with my company that I'm with now, um, I started a podcast for Rock and Roll Denim, which is a uh, Western wear brand. And we're kind of like the Nike of rodeo. We endorse a bunch of rodeo athletes. But the greatest thing about it is that it puts us in contact with a lot of really interesting people that have really, really cool stories. And it's my, one of my prides and joy of the job that I currently have to be able to sit and talk to those guys. So I just love long form conversations about things that people are really passionate about. Right. Cause you get to the, some good candid stuff, right? Like exactly. not the usual eight to 10 minutes where you have to ask like certain questions and it's over before you know, the long form is when you really get into it. Right. That's exactly right. I always tell them at the beginning, I treat all these just like a long extended conversation with a friend over a coffee or a beer. So, uh, and that's generally how you get them comfortable enough to give you those little tidbits that they wouldn't normally see on the Western sports roundup or what have you. So it's, it's a, it's a nice job and I'm really, really enjoying it. Oh, excellent. We're so happy to have you on the show to talk about this movie. So let's get the fucking book. Let's get the book on this movie. You know, we're, of course, we're talking <laughs> about a film that was released July 1st, 1998, uh, was directed by Michael Bay. It was written by like 10 people, but most notably J.J. Abrams. Uh, <laughs> and it starred everybody in Hollywood that was popular in 1998. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But Michael Bay, of course, the movie is Armageddon. Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, you know, this this duo of trying to save the world from uh, a comet coming to Earth. And, you know, this was the summer of Deep Impact. This was the summer of Godzilla with Matthew Broderick, which we feature both those movies, Deep Impact and Godzilla, were featured on Fear and Loathing and Cinema recently. So uh, we have lots to talk about Armageddon. But first, I guess 1998, I was 16, 17 years old. I was perfect age for these types of movies to come out because again, 16, 17 years old. I'm like, yes, show me some shit that blows up. Show me Bruce Willis. Don't care who's been Affleck. I think I recognized him in a movie, but this was kind of his first movie to come out. And I was blown away. I was like, this is a movie that I wanted at 16 and 17 years old. I remember loving every bit of it. And I, I think I even saw it like twice in the theater, but, uh, but JD, well, what's your intro to this movie? How old were you when this came out? Or did you see it in the theater? Was this something you discovered later? I actually did see this one in the theater. I was uh, eight years old. I had to double check the date on that because, you know, I'm over 30 now. So sometimes people have to remind me of my age. But I was eight years old and I saw it at uh, said theater. What was the theater at the mall in Denton there, Preston? Golden Triangle? What was it called? Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was I guess it was just the Golden Triangle because they had the Golden Triangle one and the Golden Triangle two theater that was just right. outside of it, right? Which I've never seen before that, and I've never seen after that. Um, but yeah, I saw this one in the theater, and 
instantly became obsessed. And in my memory, besides like being three years old and my grandparents taking me to see uh, Jurassic Park for the first time, this is the first like adult action, high explosion craziness movie that I ever saw. And let it, lo and behold, it's Michael Bay. So that kind of makes sense. <laughs> that That's great. I'm glad you got to see it at that young because I guess we're about 10 years difference and <laughs> I can't imagine seeing this at six or seven because there's some adult stuff in there. But how this movie's made is something different. Preston, uh, what's your what, what you, what's your story, bud? For, for J.D. and I, it was because I think we both saw Titanic in theaters. So that kind of opened up the adult uh, themed stuff. So I think after that, our parents were like, OK, they, you, they saw boobs in a movie. So. They can they can take, you know, animal crackers slipping underneath the underwear kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I was also eight years old when this came out. I actually I saw this a couple of times in theaters. It was because I was an only child. My parents were very cool about taking me to go see a movie multiple times in theater. And I just can't imagine doing that right now with my son as big of a fan of the new Transformers as he is. I just haven't been like, all right, let's go again. It just, things are more costly and it's a bigger event now. So we just can't, we just don't do that. But at the time, I remember seeing this pretty vividly at this theater in Louisville. It was like right off of Main Street in Louisville, Texas. And there's just a theater out there that I have uh, fond memories of going to see quite a few movies at uh, Casper was one. This was another one. And then I saw like a rerun or a re-release of Oliver and company there. And so this one was important to me because I remember seeing it with my folks. And then right after that, we just talked about it so much with my other, like my extended family. We took all of my relatives, my, uh, my cousins and everything. We all went to go see it. And I just remember that feeling of, I think, if I can think back on a movie that kind of made it feel more like a community type of thing, like where you were sharing an experience with someone, I feel like this was that movie to me. Like this was that movie that I was excited to share that experience with uh, somebody else and passing it on and just kind of gauging what they think of it and that sort of thing and so that that that's my relationship with it my my other part of it is that this is the movie before we had like netflix and things like that i had a i mentioned this to uh, brian i think last week uh, either off off mic or um when we're talking about small soldiers or my blade podcast stuff I I had a DVD player that allowed you to just continuously play stuff on a loop. And so I would play this on a loop for my dog when we left the the apartment that we were living in. Just so <laughs> there was a consistent noise going on in the background. So when I was watching this uh, last night, I was like looking for my dog's reactions to be like, she's going to remember these sounds, especially the ending. She's like, okay, when Aerosmith comes on, it's going to trigger something. Uh, she kind of moved around a little bit, but uh, yeah, that, that that's the, that's the experience with it. Um, it was a very special movie to me at the time. 
different experience a little bit watching it these days. It's more nostalgic for me, but I'm sure we'll get into some more of the details of like watching a movie like this and the way that it's edited and uh, well, there, there's the, a lot to unpack there's a, there's here. There's a, a lot, lot to unpack of what you just said. <laughs> so, yeah. first off, first off, Preston, I know you're excited, but first, I gotta ask, how long have you and JD known each other? Because from what you were saying, I don't know if y'all knew each other from a, you know, when y'all were children or y'all met like over the last ten years or more. I think he and I were. Uh, I mean, if I'm not correct, speak out, JD. But I think. Um, we we were familiar with each other through like late middle school, but we didn't really start becoming friends until high school when uh, a mutual friend of ours, Chance Maggard, uh, he and I took a film class together in high school and we, we played baseball together and things like that. But like he and I, Chance became very close in high school and we took that film class and Chance's best friend is JD. And so naturally, anytime he and I would hang out together, uh, JD was there too. And so that was the thing uh, that really started off. And I can say me and JD have, are uh, really good friends. He he's he was in my wedding party as one of my groomsmen. He was in my one of my college films that I made uh, that I still think about and he gave a really good performance in. Um, have y'all watched so, this movie together though? I don't... Armageddon. It, it, it may have been on... There, there was a lot of things that, uh, especially in college, that we just had whenever I would go over to their apartment because uh, he... JD and Chance lived together at the time and I would just drop in every once in a while and then maybe this would be on. So I, I, I want to say it was on at one point, but I don't know if we like sat down and planned it to watch Armageddon. There was just always something good on, on uh, in their house, whether it was something like this or Entourage. Entourage was the thing that really uh, connected uh, all of us together. So much to the point, I still laugh thinking about uh, JD at one point said, do you remember that one time when we did this? And I was like, no, that didn't happen. You were, you're talking about a plot line from Entourage, but we watched it and consumed it so much <laughs> that we just blurred the lines of like what yeah. conversations and things were happening to Entourage with our own lives. Our lives did not become so much like Vince's life by the end of that show, but but There's did it come? But did, but did your did your lives become more like Armageddon, JD? <laughs> oh man! Well, <laughs> I, that's the thing. It's like if I could whisper anything for this movie, I would want like give me a like a three part miniseries on what happened to all these people the next day after that they got off that asteroid and came back. Um, but I mean, just like Preston said, he. I'm sure at one point in that apartment, this movie was playing at some, at some point. I've, okay. it, it's anytime it was on, and this was a big in the TNT and the FX rotations back then. And I remember vividly having it on at several different points. But as far as appointment television, I think it was really Entourage. That's when Preston would have, he would host watching parties for all of us buddies over at his place every Sunday night for that. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good. And I, I got to go back. I, I love, I feel like, dude. Okay. So, Armageddon was one of two movies that you would leave on for your dog when you left. So when I had Bug, I would do the same thing. It was never Armageddon I left on. 
<laughs> but I'm curious, JD, if you ever had a pet, is there a movie you left on for them or a radio station? So that's Brett, and I'm sure Preston remembers this. I constantly had sports radio on all the time, and I did have a little Chihuahua at one point that got really nervous when I would leave the house, especially when I was leave, living by myself. And uh, so sports radio would always be on. And now uh, we're living in Fort Worth, and I have a roommate here. He's another one of Preston and I, a really good friend named Andy. He got a kitten recently. And we found that on YouTube, you can actually pop on like little squirrels and birds making noises. And that kind of keeps him occupied for a while. So we're all about making sure that the pets are thoroughly entertained as well. That is amazing. I love that. Um, so I had uh, a German shepherd named Bug. So I, in, in my own uh, way to, you know, make the dog feel good, I would put on the Holocaust documentary show because it was nine hours <laughs> or Schindler's <laughs> List because <laughs> it was like three, three and a half hours. So that's what I would do to our dog. <laughs> you would yeah, hear okay. John Williams score or, you know, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. Back, its then, back then, if your your dog had separation anxiety and you had a VHS player, you couldn't play Titanic as long as that movie was because it was two tapes. So right? you had to get something that joined them together. That's what I loved about streaming or putting something on that was so so long because I didn't want something short, you know, like like a comedy is like 90 minutes, you know, like and then it's going to turn off. No, but yeah, the, the loop section was good for Armageddon. I love it. So Armageddon, where we all saw it in the theater, which is amazing. Now I got to ask, JD, I'll start with you. How does it hold up, you know, some almost 25 years later and i know you're coming from a standpoint but give me how many times do you think you've watched this and how does it still hold up man since since seeing in the theaters at eight i would say i've probably seen this movie upwards of 50 to 60 times over the 25 years that it's been out um as far as how is how it holds up i think you just you don't really see movies like this anymore where you have so many people that were so particularly hot at the time in Hollywood come together. And when they do, I feel like that they don't necessarily hit the mark of being able to give everybody such an individual personality like Armageddon did. And I think some of those personalities weren't explored as much as I would like them to have been now that I see it now. Um, of course, once you get older and you kind of understand, you know, the laws of physics and space and things like that, maybe some of that doesn't hold up very well. But to me, I think that kind of adds to the charm of it. Uh, when Bay was making this movie, I felt like there were so many times in his head where he was just like, okay, let's just get through this really quickly and people won't question it. And don't question it. Just just narrative, story, action, explosion, armadillo, X-71. Let's go. Um, so for me, I think story-wise, just how fast everything moves and that type of action movie that it was back in 19, 1998, I think it still definitely holds up as far as something that you can just keep watching and maybe want to take a couple of years and give it a break. But I feel like every time I revisit it, there's something there that makes me laugh or I'm like, that's crazy that they pulled that off in 1998. And yeah, I think it definitely still holds up today in 2023. For sure. The vicious life-sucking bitch line still holds <laughs> up. It's so goddamn funny. <laughs> I forgot about that and it just killed me. Preston, same question to you. Does this does this still hold up? Yeah, I mostly agree with JD. I think it's a movie that like like I've mentioned was very special to me at the time and I just thought it was everything in 1998 of watching that action. It's very intense. Like uh 
my wife and I, who watched it with me last night, like she, she was a big fan of that, that movie back then. And also a big fan of just like early Michael Bay, especially Pearl Harbor, which I assume we're probably going to do on this podcast at some point. But anyway, yeah, watching it, I was like, I wonder how she's going. Cause I, a lot of like my take, like I love watching the movies that we do on this podcast with her because it's just so humorous to me, especially when you watch ones that, uh, that sh I know she's probably not going to enjoy that much, which was the replacements and uh, uh, smoking aces. She didn't like that one either. And so I was like, this one, she's got to probably enjoy it to some degree. So when we were watching it and you get the, the intro scene of like, you know, Eddie Griffith riding around on his bike with his dog in his, in his basket. And then, and then the, the first scene happens, you know, of course, when it's happening and you see all these buildings being destroyed, you're thinking of nine 11, but also just like how much time you're spending with watching people die in front of you. It's like creating an action scene and something that just kind of rubs you the wrong way. So there's just a couple of moments throughout watching this movie that don't hold up that well because it explores that sort of thing and it doesn't need to do that. There's a couple other moments when um, some of the rocks that are ahead of the big meteorite are starting to hit earth first and then it hits like France or it hits someplace in Asia. And then it just is like a five to 10 minute sequence of people just dying in just explosions. And I can, I just wonder what it was like to be on Michael Bay's set shooting those sequences where you're like, yes, we're about to shoot something that's absolutely devastating, but it's going to be fucking awesome because there's just going to be explosions and stuff. And so that's what I'm, that makes me enjoy it so much watching it these days. Yes. It's kind of, gross to like see these kind of things especially when they get out into space and you see them approaching the asteroid and then one of the ships is is blowing up they hit something and then people are just like flying out the window and like hitting the other ship as they're flying by and i was like jesus christ i was like he just Michael Bay just doesn't care whatsoever. So that's why I, I, when JD was like, who cares? Like, just don't think about it. It's just like, just moving on. It's all for like eye candy purposes. Like don't get emotionally attached. Don't get emotionally attached until I tell you to get emotionally attached is when it's Harry Stamper pushing the button. And so it's just kind of humorous to me that so much of the movie is just like a big ball of dumb and we're getting yeah, some some like great character moments. Uh, some of them are a bit questionable. Mostly Rockhound. Like it's kind of gross to watch him well, nowadays. I mean, we can, is it? We can. Yes, it is. <laughs> is it? Like, it's it's kind of. You know, I'm thinking like I'm laughing at it because I'm like, oh my god, like this is crazy. Kind of like what JD was saying, but like you know, when it came to like. Uh, Liv Tyler's character when she's like going through like how everybody on the oil rig like helped raise her and she she was like Rockhound taught me how to showed me how to use a tampon and he's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. I, I told her I didn't show her and then there's like another joke about like I, I swear to god she didn't tell me her age and there's just like dude this guy really is like horny pervert like they were describing in the movie and, it, and what makes it kind of like 
hard to stomach nowadays, uh, you know, outside of just like it stands on its own and you can just be able to understand that um, is reading that Steve Buscemi initially signed on to this project because he was supposed to be like this Ian Malcolm type, like a very smart geologist. And by the time it came to shooting the thing, obviously that didn't happen. He, he ended up becoming the most despicable character of the bunch for sure. Like Owen Wilson's character, Oscar watching that now. I'm like, that guy's great. I really wish he was in most of the movie because I'm like, he has a head on his shoulders. He's the most sensible one. He still has funny jokes that are kind of more timeless. I disagree I with you. I disagree with you. I think okay, Steve Buscemi's character is way better. And I'm so glad he's heavily featured in the movie because I think he is the smartest person there. And he's going like just like Ian Malcolm chaos theory. Like he wants a front ride or that front seat to like the chaos. And he's there for it when all else fails. And I like that. I mean, going through these to like, so to go on with your uh, evaluation of the film as it holds up today, I think in that first hour, we really get to spend time with all of these people. And it's quite amazing how they set up like 20 characters and they all have individual quirks. But Steve Buscemi's, making him, you know, the smartest person in the room, but also like the most deviant, I think just like works well with him. And because I don't think there was ever a point in time where like his character in Con Air and his character in Armageddon kind of cross paths, because I think in Con Air, he's much more sadistic. Whereas here, he just kind of likes younger women, but not, but but like most like legal. <laughs> Or as in the adult industry, barely legal, I guess. <laughs> as far as we know, maybe. But maybe. They, bring, they brought that joke back three times about yeah, the age thing. And I think that when I was rewatching it this last week, I was like, um, I might have left one of those out. Because um, you're really kind of troping this guy now. But uh, I I feel the same way with Preston. I thought, it, I thought he was... I guess rewatching it now, the part that doesn't hold up so much is the sleaziness. But Brian, I do agree with you. I love the contrast between that side of his character and also being the smartest guy in the room. My biggest nitpick, I wish they would have flexed how smart he is a couple more times. Because you get the scene on the shuttle when he's saying, well, we missed our landing grid because you landed us on a goddamn iron plate. Like, that, I, I wanted yeah. a few more of those. I, but I yeah, but but being Michael fire. Bay, being Michael Bay, he doesn't want that. There there was enough That's exposition true. talk, you know, for to not have that Steve Buscemi character say more. It was just like, we've got to add a comedic line here and make him gross. Or maybe Michael Bay in that time period in the 90s or early 2000s, like this is what guys are or something like that. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, J I think what JD is saying, like with that that specific line itself, it's kind of funny because you're like, damn, he's dropping some truth, but it's kind of funny the way that he's delivering it. It's a short little moment. It doesn't have to be an extended sequence of exposition. But yeah, if it had more moments like that versus, I mean, I do enjoy like his like cartoonishness a little bit. Like it's funny when he's on the rocket and he's making like the yippee jokes and stuff like that. That's kind of funny. But when he's like, shooting off the gun and he's like sorry harry and like fuck like just like 
there's no coming back from that. If I was like on that mission with them, I would totally be strapping them in. And then, uh, like I would be so done with him for the rest of my life. If he, if I was like, dude, the world <laughs> is like about to die and we are the only ones here to help save it. And if we fuck this up, it's going to be because of you. Right. And, so, and it was going to be because of him, but they had that one line of dialogue uh, from the guy yeah. saying, Oh, space dementia. And I was like, okay, yeah. we can, you know, somehow sympathize with that, that he just lost his marbles for like, you know, 10 minutes and they had to, and they duct taped him <laughs> to yeah. a chair in space. And it was, oh, it's, it's, it's almost like chef's kiss genius almost. <laughs> and it like comes full circle when they're, when they land back on earth and he's like, guys, let's not talk about what happened. We're all good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're all heroes. <laughs> but I thought like his character is so in depth that the one thing he did Bef like the night before where they got to go see their families, he went to a loan shark and got a hundred thousand dollars to spend on strippers like that. God damn. That's just like amazing writing to me. <laughs> I just thought that was great. Cause in a, in a perfect normal world, everybody would go seeing their families, their friends, but dude, he went to a loan shark, got a hundred grand and was like in the mindset that he was not coming back and everything was going to go tits up. And I, I love that about this movie. Yeah, I mean you're 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 not wrong, Brian, saying that he's an absolutely memorable character for all those eccentricities and specificness that he has to his being, but I can't disregard the fact that it's like I'm confused with the feeling a little bit. Like I find him enjoyable, but at what cost, you know? It's just like I I don't know, it's like hard to like dis talk about it really it's just I'm, I'm confused on like what michael bay is trying to make me feel but it, again like michael bay doesn't care how i feel like he may not have fully thought out every aspect in this film he's just like it's a bunch of stitching things and trying it, it, to make it make sense in the edit and last minute because there's like so many things in here that are just like very on, oddly yeah. done it is weird we to get into yeah, so now I have a question to start the movie off. So to start the movie off, JD, this question is for you. Uh, I wonder if you have any take on this, knowing Michael Bay's career. But as the movie starts off, it is a CG experience of an asteroid hitting Earth to kill the dinosaurs. Um, and it's narrated about the dinosaurs being extinct. Um, why didn't Michael Bay film a sequence with dinosaurs dying on earth. Do you think it was a budget reason? Because it seemed like right in his wheelhouse to actually show that chaos with dinosaurs and with the success of Jurassic Park one and two, I'm curious why, because watching it again, it's like Michael Bay, why didn't he film this? You know, it seemed like I, that's what I was going to touch on because of, you know, just coming off Jurassic Park, you would think that he would want a little taste of that too, because it's not, unknown for Michael Bay to pick up on themes from other movies that did really, really well and sneak them into his movie. Hence the AJ and Grace storyline from this one, having clear flashbacks to Titanic and the success off of that. Um, I even heard that they brought in a separate writer to do that. But back to the opening sequence, the opening sequence is the one that I think really hooked me when I first watched it because of the grandeur and the idea of seeing a rock just hit earth and then realizing that that's a real possibility of something that could actually happen. 
But as far as like, you know, looking at it from a movie making perspective, it does kind of seem like that's something that he just either needed a title sequence after the whole thing was shot, wanted to tie it in and then do the most massive flash forward in the history of cinema. You're you're absolutely right with the the flash forward, which killed me because like I think of 2001 Space Odyssey, like the 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 monkeys, you know, find out their weapons with bones and then thrown up in the air. And then all of a sudden we're in the future in space with the pen and everything. It's a big leap, you know, in time. And then with Armageddon. That's his 2001 moment. And he says 65 million years later, now I'm dying laughing at that moment. And then that is followed by, oh my God, brilliant comedian Eddie Griffin riding a bike with his bulldog where the bulldog eats a Godzilla toy just to mess with the previous Godzilla movie. I wish they still did this stuff in movies today. Um, like little jokes here and there. Uh, like rap battles. <laughs> right right <Rap> it, <laughs> it made me laugh but i like that you that you brought up that um the thing about michael and about bay and the dinosaurs because it it seems like that movie that would be in his wheelhouse to do and i'm, I'm almost kind of sad that he didn't do that so, i would have liked to have seen one scene from a dinosaur's perspective like you see the rock headed towards earth maybe just one little cut of them looking up like not sure if dinosaurs would be existentially aware of an asteroid, but I think I think one little shot of that 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 probably could have served that title really nicely. No, he could I, have just I, re-edited it and taken from that Disney dinosaur movie that came out in like two thousand because they have a shot like that. That's actually like Jesus Christ. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I bet you there's a couple reasons why they didn't do it. One definitely because of the the, the budget reasons, but also. Somebody has to have, I don't know if it's Jerry Brockheimer, but I don't know, Jerry Brockheimer seems to just kind of go with the flow and whatever makes money, makes money, doesn't maybe not care so much about the emotional narrative or the emotional journey within the narrative, that what it would have been like to see a shot like that and just be kind of like, Jesus Christ. So I, I don't know, just seeing seeing the the explosion of the planet and kind of like just going through it, it felt made it feel more like a like you're watching like planet uh like planet earth or something like that as it's being narrated because it's having an effect on you as you're watching like the planet just turn into a fire and then you they say like even after the the asteroid hits and most of the earth turns to dust it takes a long time for the earth to just settle and 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 be livable again um, cause you're, you're watching my wife and I, especially when it came to like the Sanger sequences and like some, by the way, dude, the Sanger sequences, just cause JD's here. Apparently we were just, we're just stuck in a time warp and we're living in the fifties in, in, in Sanger. We, we have like old Ford trucks and we have, uh, look like we're, yeah, definitely in the fifties. So that's, that's kind of humorous to me. Um. But uh, yeah, there's that. But then you see the family that gets in uh, the storm cellar and they're like, yeah, good luck. That that won't save you one bit. We'll see. Yeah, you won't be able to live on the outside of the earth for a long time. And that'd be a slow way to die, too. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's crazy. So now I'm curious um, about the movie is 
over two and a half hours long. Do you love that the first hour is all character set up and getting to know these characters before they actually get to the asteroid? Because I love that. And particularly for a Michael Bay movie. Um, and this is one of his, you know, his first really big ones that he did. He directed. Uh, I love that we got to spend because there's so many characters in here. Uh, that they could easily be lost in the shuffle, but each character is so distinguishable. I love that they took the time to show them on the oil rig, to show them getting ready, to show them having fun. And that even though some of them die right away, when they kind of, not even when they get on the asteroid, I I love that we got to spend that much time with them. Uh, and I commend michael bay for kind of directing that and having uh a team of writers kind of stick with them instead of all right we're gonna spend 15 minutes with them and then we're on the asteroid for the rest of the movie no i like the hour that we got to spend with them on earth what do you think about that jd i love that too i think when you have a movie like this that has so many characters and the way that bay like he really did give them their all their own personality one of my favorite shots of the film is when Harry is at NASA and he's, you know, he's like, these guys get off the oil rig and they scatter. And there's just little, it's a montage of them just going after every single person that he wants on the team. You've got um, Bear on the motorcycle and he's blowing through roadblocks. You've got Owen Wilson's character riding a horse while uh, helicopters are following through the field. And of course, Chick is at the Caesar's Palace. And it, it just, that in itself gave just a little insight into who each one of the characters are. Um, but even back to the very first scene, when you're kind of really first getting to know everybody, when they're on the oil rig with Harry, and Harry's chasing around AJ with that shotgun, you know, you have Bear come around. He's like, well, that's a huge dude. He's probably pretty handy. And you know, he gives his little comedy performance. And then one of my favorite performances of the whole movie is uh, Will Patton's character and his just little, little hints of snark and his little, yes, I'm smart. Yes, I'm here to do this. I'm probably one of the best assistants for this type of job. And I think the way that they kind of made him and Harry's relationship as like, okay, we're partners on this. Like they, he just did so many little things to give you an insight into who these people are. And we're going to use all these people. They're all going to have some type of play into the movie. And like you said, some of them will perish a little bit earlier than others. But I think doing that in a movie that's so long and it has so much stuff in it when it comes to the action and the change of pace. And now we're on Earth and now we're in the shuttle and now we're at the space station. Now we're at the asteroid. Like it's that's a lot of movement. That's a lot of travel. And I think giving him that time to kind of like marinate on who these people are really added to the movie. It, re it really did add to the movie. Preston, do you feel the same way? Because I know you like your character development. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. I, I think, yeah, I, I think a lot about the scene where they round them all up as silly as it is sometimes. But you get to see these shades of them when they're together and that when they're apart. And they have all these great moments throughout. As silly as it is when they're like doing the psych evaluation and it's it's just kind of goofy. Like even uh, Max says a Pulp Fiction line. You're like, whoa, Pulp Fiction exists. And you got Bruce Willis and Pulp Fiction. It's just kind of wild that it has moments like that. But yeah, like like Bear, Marco, Michael Clark Duncan, like uh, being like, well, you're you know your levels are you know your cholesterol is too high. And he's like, yeah, but I look good, don't I? And, and so <laughs> it's just like all these like moments that are like that that I think I didn't 
because I thought about that last night. I was like, man, we do we have like an hour left to the movie, and we still haven't got there yet. Um, it, it, it's it's cool. I, I'm glad that it took that uh, took the time for us to like actually invest in these people as eccentric and wild and cartoony as they get sometimes. There's a heart to them, each one of them. I, I uh, especially with Will Patton's character, uh, Chick, like I like what JD was saying about their uh, his and Harry's relationship because it's almost like a like an old married couple. Yeah, like there's it, it, like he balances him out because it's it's wild watching the beginning of it as he's chasing. Uh, did you hear? I got a shotgun pulled on my ass. I thought of that when what days confused <laughs> and Ben Affleck. Um, so him getting chased around with a shotgun, like I was like, dude, if we were in a workplace like that, Harry would be totally going to jail. But all these people love him so much, despite how wild he gets. Um, that they'll bat for him like even aj taking like uh you know a ricocheted bullet into the in the leg he still has some love for for harry especially and it comes to the like most emotional moments to me is like when they're going down and ben affleck's character aj draws the short straw and he and they're going down to uh the meteorite base to eventually be the one solo person that's going to push the button to blow up the blow up the rock and, and save earth. And um, Ben Affleck is a really great performance in that moment. Um, so it, it's, I have, I have my gripes with it all the way, but I really think that this is just a movie that wears its heart on its sleeve and it's, it's admittedly tense, especially in that last hour. No, it's, it's the, it's those specific moments of endearing emotion that really, Push this through, but yeah, the the movie in that last hour, as you said, it's so chaotic. It's and it's almost because like I'm thinking like the movie Gravity, which came out way later, but you also have that gravity moment at the beginning of this movie where you know space trash or comets are going through with somebody's trying to work on a space station, but with like Gravity more people might remember it was like one thing after the other yeah. nothing fucking worked in that movie there was like always a problem and that's this movie armageddon like <laughs> there's always something happening that like something doesn't work something's not starting right even when they're yeah. trying to get off the comet the thing doesn't start and it's not until our our main man from russia just starts hitting <laughs> shit that he saves it <laughs> it's just i love him it i and it's Maybe because, okay, so with this movie Armageddon, it's been uh, said in interviews with Michael Bay and other people that Michael Bay had 16 weeks to shoot Armageddon, which is four months. Arguably, that's enough time to shoot any movie nowadays. But maybe back then he wanted more. And he said it was such a fast shoot. If he could go back to any of his movies, he would go back to Armageddon and completely redo the third act. And I'm curious what he could have done. Like, I get it. We all talk shit about Michael Bay with his crazy cuts and like, he can't stay on something for more than like four seconds at a time. It's just like frenetic. But what do you think he would have done given him two more months to shoot a final act? What do you think we would have gotten that we didn't get here? Because do you think the movie falls apart? I don't think so. I just think there's just so much going on. And we spent so much time with these characters. He has to end the movie. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to get everything going? 
you know, within, you know, the last 25 minutes. JD, do you have any perspective on that? There is one big glaring thing from the third act that always kind of bothered me. And it was the situation with Colonel Willie Sharp when he pulls out that drill time card. He says secondary protocol. He's pushing the nuke secondary protocol. I wish they would have given us that as a plot line earlier in the film. Like something that he knew about that the president or somebody on Earth could have taken control over that nuclear weapon while they're up there. I wish that would have been just kind of like a lingering little aspect or idea that kind of carried out throughout the movie that would have made that sequence feel a little bit more, I guess, organic. Because you have that, you have Harry and them coming back to get that transmission after they blew a drill transmission. And Sharp just is kind of telling him, yeah, this is what's going on right here. And then you have that big emotional moment where... He's like, I've never hit a depth that I couldn't reach. And, you know, 800 feet, I promise you we're going to make that we're going to make that depth. And, you know, the Air Force commander kind of comes on and says, you promise on my kids and on your family's life that you'll make that depth. And he's like, yes, I'm sorry. Let's turn the bomb off. And they have a minute to do it. I thought that was a really cool. They did play with time quite a bit in this movie when it came down to seconds of certain things. (laughs) I counted it down. I did, too. I did, too. Um, but I think that would have kind of made that narrative of Harry and Colonel Sharp coming together to achieve this one task a little bit more palatable. I mean, it still works for sure, but yeah, I feel like that kind of would have put a little bit more weight behind it. Yeah, like they could have had a scene with uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character, Dan Truman, who he has a scene with Bruce Willis's character where Bruce Willis is saying, you're, you guys are nasty. You think of this stuff. You don't have a backup plan. And so obviously that is a backup plan. So they could have had a moment where, you know, like Dan was like, you know, Harry, stubborn as he is and as, as hard as he, difficult as he is to work with, he's a smart son of a bitch. So, you know, I have to hand it to him. So, um, but then, you know, it's different parties that you're interacting with. So you, you would have to think that, yeah, like it's just like one of those moments where you're like, yeah, you know, government or just like president some there's got to be something in there that's like you can't fully trust them entirely Mm -hmm. or they'll have like some backup plan that's just that's like that and so it's kind of it's dirty um but yeah i agree like if there was like a moment where it's like hey uh don't forget to you know read the brief on what's going to happen with this this uh secondary what was it called again the secondary Secondary protocol secondary protocol um that that is a possibility and then so just a, enough tease that they could have just mentioned secondary protocol um mm-hmm. and it, it would have came from uh uh kevin uh what's his name the guy the guy that's in um i'm trying to look up his name the guy that's in they live um in and he's in this movie yeah, he's the. Let me pull him up. He's in like something about Mary, the Frank, Frank above the beans. Man, the amount of times I've seen Armageddon more than I've seen something about Mary. <laughs> um, uh, Ryan, why'd you step away? You knew, know it right away. Uh, I'm like Kevin. There's people that are listening to this right now are probably like Jesus Christ. I know what it is. They live. Keith David. Goodness. Keith David. Is that the general? Yeah. The yeah, the guy that's like taking the call on the red phone. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. So he would be the guy, in my opinion, because he kind of gives you that whole, I'm not really sure about this plan from the beginning. He's always mm-hmm. really negative about, you know, yeah. sending oil drillers up into space. And, and, you know, that scene with Truman, he's like, so Truman, these are the people that you found to save the world as they're all like going into the hangar yeah. to get on the, on the aircraft. Like, uh, that probably served that plot device that I was really kind of keening in on of wanting a little bit more of, but, uh, but yeah, and I, I think he did a phenomenal job in that role for that role specifically too. Yeah. There, another reason why it, it mostly is a forgivable moment, uh, or not a fully explored, as you said, um, is the fact that they have a whole secondary ship that's going with them. And it's not because there's off, but there's trust issues obviously here throughout um with like well if the guys that we're hiring who say that they can do the job can't do the job we also have you know the astronauts here that that will be able to help execute the plan should it all fail um so yeah that 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 helps carry it uh, a little a little bit better and makes it mostly forgivable but yeah for the most part i can't think of much that i would change because that that last hour or so it's pretty full tilt. It's um, like, it does have moments of pause here and there um, with like, you know, as, as intense as it is, it's still a break moment where, you know, uh, Ben Affleck's character, AJ and Michael Clark Duncan's character, bear and Peter Stormare as the Russian guy um, have like, they're off on their own. They survive the wreckage of the, the, the second ship and they have to get in the armadillo and make their way to the site where they're drilling at, um, should that fail. And so there, there are moments there of like pause and enjoying it. Like it's, it's silly that they're having like a, like an evil Knievel moment all while uh, Peter Stormer characters like hanging by a cable and flying around as they're hitting all these things. You're like, dude, that guy would totally be just so like ragdolled to death. Um, yes. But then they land and it, it's, it's fun and enjoyable amid all the chaos. And so, but um, I, I just feel like Michael Bay has always been very good at like, he's somewhat comparable to James Cameron, even though James Cameron lets his action breathe. But there's like some stakes that they bring to it, even amid the silliness sometimes that you just kind of move on from it and you don't think too much about it. Um, and I feel like Michael Bay has always been fairly good at that sort of thing. Maybe lost a little bit of his way along the way with, you know, the Transformers movies, but at least earlier in his career with that and uh, Pearl Harbor, he, he could handle intensity in human moments and um, make them iron out just a little bit uh, by comparison to some other filmmakers out there. Yeah. And like even some of the little thing, I mean, there's a million different like questions you could ask about this movie when it comes to accuracy and science and how they're pulling things together. But I feel like he, Michael Bay did a really good job of just dropping one little line about, okay, well that, that, that take that takes care of that that makes sense now so like when at the very beginning of the movie uh the narrator is talking about the asteroid that hit the earth that killed the dinosaurs and he said a piece of rock just six miles wide changed all that and destroyed the planet well when they're talking about this asteroid they say it's the size of texas that's significantly larger than, than six miles um 
I would kind of have liked to understand where the independence, the second ship that AJ was on, where it crash landed relative to where Harry is. But I guess just from Bay's perspective, the idea is that they show up at the exact right moment. So it really doesn't matter where the ship crashed and where they pulled the armadillo off to get there right in time. But he did yeah. say, well, there's a beep on the screen and I'm trying to get us there, which means he could track them somehow. He didn't just find them randomly by chance. Yeah, yeah. Be like, uh, well, like they don't have a moment where Pierce Stormer is like, so how far away are we? Be like, well, it's like we're in Austin, Texas, and they're in Dallas, and we got to make jump this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. It, it's it's fine. Um, yeah, you just kind of move along uh, with the punches, but it, it, it's it's fair for what they do. It still accomplishes what it needs to accomplish, and you know, you get the feelings that uh, Michael Bay was probably aiming for, and so yeah, it's good. That's all right. I'm trying to think of like an um, some other like interesting trivia that I was reading as I was because some of the trivia online you don't know whether it's completely factual. That that one about Steve Buscemi's character was kind of uh, devastating a little bit. But are, have you ever of all the watches that you've had, have you ever listened to Ben Affleck's solo commentary on this? Oh film? yes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I think, uh, I mean, like you said, you can't really believe everything that you read online, but everybody's like, man, it, he is just hammer drunk on this commentary track. And he even, I don't know if he got into it a little bit with Michael Bay when he started to ask questions about it, but that's, that's another famous little story that kind of rolled around about he questioned whether or not it'd be feasible to send oil drillers into space and train them to be astronauts instead of vice versa. Um, but yeah, I haven't. There's actually been times where I haven't had a podcast to listen to, and I'll go back and listen to that on YouTube, which you can definitely find, and it's it's very very funny. Yeah, that whole seat because there, there's like a good three minutes where he's just completely laying into Michael Bay, and you got a complete sense of like how it probably was on production, um, it, which is what my interest was at the beginning of all this. Is like what I, I want to really solid 100% truthful without producers putting knives in your side behind the scenes documentary of like what it was like filming this um, was that, that's how I am with with so many films that are um, problem problematic I wouldn't say that this one's comparable to some other uh, productions that have been out there but it's uh, you get little uh, sampling like appetizers of it from that moment with Ben Affleck talking about uh like poking fun at the the logic of the movie sometimes like yeah it's it's a big blockbuster movie puts my face on the poster but this is also Ben Affleck coming off of winning an Oscar for uh, Goodwill Hunting and so he's a creative he can He's smart, as we've seen with some of the movies that he's done, especially this year with Air. And uh, so he's a, he's a smart guy, and, but he's also very funny and honest in ways, too. Like there's, there's a couple of interviews that he's done where he's talked about experiences that he's had in, in the past and he, he doesn't care. Um, it, he probably protects himself a little bit more these days. But yeah, that 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 um, commentary of him just saying, yeah, like. I was saying all these things and then Michael Bay was like, just shut up, shut up. And they almost kind of worked its way into the movie a little bit. And, uh, and it's true. Cause as you're watching it, you're like, 
yeah um it probably does make a little more sense to teach the people how to uh the astronauts how to drill versus the other way around um uh, because as as Ben Affleck's going through the process of like, you got to know this and this and the astronaut, cause it kind of blows your mind. If you like stop for a second and think of dude, all these like engineers and manufacturers had to work together to create a ship that can withstand atmospheres or places that we don't even know about. And um, so yeah, the, the, the science behind it all is completely absurd, especially after you watch, as Brian mentioned, gravity, when you watch sequences where things are just kind of, uh, you know, rocks are flying through and tearing everything. And you could just be there and not even know it because it's silent. There's no sound. There's no like smokiness and fire and things like that. And then when you get to the end of the movie and all the astronauts land and then they're like families are hugging each other. And part of you is just like, they're probably contaminated. They got to have like a whole, they were just on another rock. They got to right. be in like, a, but they're not going to have that moment because that, that would ruin the dramatic flow of the movie. And so, yeah, again, so much absurdity in it. Ben Affleck is completely right with this commentary to have fun with that a little bit and give Michael Bay a hard time. Cause I, I'm sure Michael Bay was pretty hard to work with, uh, but Bruce Willis well, said think, that he, he didn't like working with him either, but I guess Bruce Willis is a pretty difficult person to work with too. So. Right. And we've, that. we've heard that. And I think with the absurdity, but I think it works in this type of movie, the absurdity, because I, you know, again, NASA kind of has been known to tell like their new hires, like watch this movie and tell us how much stuff is wrong in there. And maybe, you know, it just, I love that element to it, but again, it's a movie and you can see in like knowing what Michael Bay is now, he has a certain type. <laughs> it's a certain type to tell a story. And back then again, is one of his first big films it, it's all about the action and maybe, you know, you can compare it. Let's not compare it, but compare it to mission impossible seven. We want a good story these days. We want fleshed out characters. We want a great narrative, but in these types of movies, aren't we there to see action? Aren't we there to see things blow up and Tom Cruise run and stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. So I think with, yeah, I think with Armageddon, I think the absurdity works like Fast and Furious movies where the absurd works, right? In its favor, maybe. Especially, yeah, especially. with this one. I was just going to say, I mean, you, you look back to 1998 and the movies that are coming out and I know Deep Impact was around the same time and the themes are somewhat similar. But this one was, to me, more fun. And I guess that kind of speaks to how Michael Bay makes his movies. Like, you look at Pearl Harbor, you look at The Rock. There's 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 intricate storylines and there's a lot going on. And a lot of them have a lot of weight to them. And, you know, they're dire circumstances. But he makes you, allows you to have fun along the way without having to ask the questions like, why am I hearing pipes dropping in space? Oh, you're telling me this drill was originally supposed to go to Mars. And these guys have been training eight months on that, but we had the tech to do that back in 98. Just, you don't really have to worry about stuff like that because you can just sit back with your popcorn and Coke and just enjoy it. 
Well, with, with Deep Impact and with Armageddon, I mean, these two um, movies came out at the same time and Hollywood has a, uh, an not an affliction, but they like to do that. Like, you know, Dante's Peak and Volcano. Same movie, kind of different. But with Deep Impact, Deep Impact is the more serious film. Like there's, it's not void of fun, but you could tell that they wanted to stick with, a more serious tone and more serious characters. Whereas like a 15 year old made Armageddon almost just like, right. I mean, it's written for that 15 year old in us. Like, yes, this is what I would do. Right. Yeah. 100%. When we were watching deep impact, I think that's what we had mentioned on that, that episode is just like, we, we ranked them. We, we said, okay, let's, we got to look at deep impact Armageddon, and don't look up as movies that deal with the end of the world and like, where would you rank them? And it's just like, I feel like deep impact and don't look up are the most authentic to reality as if it went down, that's how it would go down for the most part. Right. And, 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 don't, and I, and I think Armageddon goes more towards people. This is a movie, focusing, man. Well, well, focusing on people actually destroying the asteroid on the asteroid, whereas Don't Look Up was more, was focused more on the general population reacting. You brought it on yourself. To it. Yeah. Right. G reacting to it. And in, in, in a current climate of social media and people not believing what's in front of them, you know, or choosing not to believe. And I think Deep Impact was more by the book on how it would happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it very much, there's so many story beats that line up with it down to like the team that are going to, uh, in, in that case, a, more of a comment. Um, and, but it handles it in such a way where, you know, I can't, it's been a little bit and I've watched so many movies since Deep Impact, but I do know that there's still enough there to create that wave and still damage at least part of the planet. Um, but when it's happening, it, I specifically remember Elijah Wood, no, not Elijah Wood's family. I think it was Lily Sobieski's family. They're like hugging her goodbye and knowing that they're, they're doomed. They're, they're, they're going to die. And it's just like it's it's like so hard hitting with its realness that it's like tough to stomach. And I can't say, hey, let's you know, let's go watch Deep Impact. That would be a great Friday night movie. That's not the case at all. At least Armageddon, uh, you know, it has fun. It's very much like the movie of Rockhound's mentality in a way of being like, Hey, we're going to die anyway. So let's have some fun. Um, kind of, kind of feel to it. And so, yeah, it just, it, it's definitely the most fun out of all three of them, um, that can still have an emotional effect on you. Like my wife and I were still kind of tearing up when it comes to Harry Stamper saying goodbye, even though there's like three minutes left and you're like, dude, what are you doing there? Get, 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 get it. Like you gotta go, man. Um, so, uh, but, but JD pointed that out, like the movie's uh, time, when it comes down to the clock, it's not 100% there. Um, right. But yeah, it, in all, I would say that Michael Bay is, and I think we mentioned this on, um, what, what movie did we do of his recently? The, uh, Bad Boys 2. Bad, Boy, I Bad was, Boys I, 2. Yeah, I said that, nobody can really do 
what he does and there's what there's is it inter- that he does yeah <laughs> he he um i bet you he just like on set makes movies feel like like so cinematic like the smallest moments like even in some of his commentary bits he was like you know we went to this country we're shooting this and then people we just made it feel like it was like the best shot in the whole movie at all times like going from moment to moment and so i i imagine that energy that he has is pretty infectious and that's um that that's what's like it's magic what he's doing even though it's complete chaos it it's like messing with your brain a little bit with how many images you're seeing and the way that it's moving about like there's a sequence in this when Liv Tyler and um Bruce Willis are meeting outside of the the Apollo 1 area and the reason why that's such a big part in the movie and it's kind of random when you think about it like why are they talking having a moment like this out there it's just because they they haven't filmed anything out there and they got nasa's permission to do it and it's kind of weirdly edited in that they're having a sweet moment and then there's just like a cut of like the apollo 11 plaque in the middle of this scene where they're talking it's not established with it like normally a filmmaker would start with that plaque and then cut so there's just like so many moments like uh and not to keep going the very beginning when they're on the oil rig and they're cutting back and forth between like making the plans for what they do in at NASA and working with the government. They're like, come on guys, come up with these plans and they're cutting back and forth and they're kind of oddly edited uh, parallel editing that they got going on with that. And so, but still like I watch all this and I'm like, it's amazing that he's doing all this. And so uh, I, I, I just find it very entertaining, especially even now uh, when I when I don't have my eight-year-old brain here. I have a 33-year-old brain here and I'm watching this and I'm, and I'm just completely amazed and astonished that he was able to pull off so much. I think even JD mentioned that at the top, um, that he was able to pull off so much of this. And it's just, it's absolute craziness that he does it. But that's Michael Bay, though. That's Michael Bay. He, his editing, he can't stay on something for longer than, you know, three to eight seconds. And it, but it's almost like a beat. There's almost like a melodic, frenetic, hip hop, jazz type of editing style that he likes. And I'm sure he talks to his editing, like his editors and says like, look, we need to have like a music beat, jazz beat, rock and roll, whatever, and we cannot, you know, because he's the antithesis of Kubrick. Kubrick is, you know, symmetrical, long shots show everything happening on the screen, whereas Michael Bay is not. Yeah, he's, he's he, like you said, he's like showing a plaque. Where, why is this here? But it's it's a beat. It's constant motion and constant something happening on screen. He's got to make his investors happy. Yeah, he does. He does. So curious, um, as we're rounding out this uh, this show of Armageddon, are there any particular Easter eggs in the movie that you really love? I know we mentioned a couple like the Godzilla one, but JD, is there any Easter eggs that just stick out to you? You're like, oh, that's a f- funny little bit they did. Uh, I think the biggest one that screams in my face, other than just like being eight years old and seeing Sanger, Texas on a fire truck, which, you know, I grew up there, lived there for 17 years. Besides that, um, there was a lot of patriotism in this movie and a lot of American flags and 
like Preston was saying, the callback to the 50s. And, you know, there's sweeping shots of seeing like one of the Sanger shots. They showed an old school Coca-Cola ad on the wall. And then in another shot, they showed a, a portrait of John F. Kennedy on a wall. And then, of course, you can't stop thinking about <laughs> I can't stop thinking about the animal cracker scene when it's Liv Tyler and um, Ben Affleck laying there going through the romance and talking about what if I don't come back, you know, things like that. Is it worth it? And the whole time it's the most intimate part of the movie, the intimate, most intimate scene in the movie. And her father's band is playing in the background. This movie was packed with Aerosmith. So many like deep cuts, um, stuff that you've heard a thousand times, sweet emotion. And then of course the big, I don't want to miss a thing, which was a huge hit. And still They're only num- it was Aerosmith's only number one hit ever, yeah. like, which is crazy <laughs> to say because they have so many great ones. Uh, I've seen them live twice, but when they played, you don't want to miss a thing. It, it gets the entire crowd singing. Uh, right. No, I love that when that when that when that's happening, uh, and I love the picture of Kennedy on the brick wall. But then somebody says, "Oh, Kennedy, are you? Are, we're coming into Kennedy Airport right now." And I was like, "This is ridiculous." I love that. Kennedy, I, we see you. Okay, so I I had to go back and watch it, and it doesn't like say the number of the bus but there is a there is like a little sequence of an asteroid one of the little asteroids hitting a bus that is very reminiscent and similar to the speed bus for with keanu reeves like it's the same color and everything it doesn't have 25 25 on it but it's like the same bus and i'm curious if this is michael bay's like we're the new blockbuster in town but it's like towards the beginning of the movie and i was like wait is that the speed bus did that just happen have y'all noticed yeah. that at any time you were watching that? No, I mean I've noticed the bus, but I didn't connect it with speed. I because uh, it's like the same. It's like that light blue and silver and white. And I was like, wait, is that the speed bus? I did loving love seeing Mr. Cooper hanging with Mr. Cooper as the cab driver, which was yeah. you know a '90s callback. Um, I loved Udo Kier uh, just because yeah. he's so great in it. Uh, the Pulp Fiction line, even like the shot from the rock the the shot that goes into you with like the green liquid that's very reminiscent of the rock um in the jethro toll scene which i'm <laughs> so, like or the the line where he's like some jethro toll people think he's just a dude in the band and i was like that's an amazing because that is very true in life because people who don't know who jethro toll is like no jethro toll i like that dude and i was like no wait that's not that guy um i like those little those little moments that I really picked up this time again, watching it. And of course the Godzilla thing again, wish they would do that more in movies today because that's just, that's fun. Yeah. Just fun. Just disguised middle fingers in a way that are kind of playful. I, uh, watching it this time, this is the first time I've caught Michael Bay's cameo in the movie. I never It's for a it. second. It's yeah. for a he's like, second. He's like, he's just in the office chair turning around at the beginning. And I was like, whoa, oh, that's the first time I've seen it. Michael Bay is in Mystery Men more than he is in his Armageddon movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he is in Mystery Men, Michael Bay. Uh, he, <laughs> but yeah, he, it is his little cameo. I like that he got all of that in like that's his little Hitchcockian Hitchcockian moment there um but so this movie was released on Laserdisc through Criterion and then on DVD on Criterion and then it got a a kind of bare bones ish release on Blu-ray why 
Criterion, why haven't you gotten the rights to do a 4K, bring everybody back type of thing? Why hasn't this gotten a collector's edition? Armageddon deserves a 4K transfer. It deserves the love because this movie is still good. They don't make them like this anymore. And it shows like, even though the subject matter is dire, the world's ending, uh, you could still have fun with it, with these amazing characters, despite their flaws are just like very endearing to me. I don't know what y'all think, but that's what I think about this movie. Yeah, I think so. I mean, being eight years old and seeing a movie that does have such weight to the plot and so the stakes are so high, it being an end of the world movie. And I think me coming to terms with that, there are things like that that can happen, that there's not much that we could do about it. And if there are, it'd be very limited. Um, I think the way that the tone of this movie makes it so much fun to watch made that more palatable for me as a younger kid. Um, but that's also the reason why I fell in love with the space program and wanted my parents to take me to Houston to see the space shuttles and to see the rockets and uh, to see the command center, which I'm not sure if they used the real one in the movie, but it looked pretty close to the one in Houston. Um, but that that was the impact for me. It was just Let's get these badasses together and just go have fun on probably the biggest state mission that they could possibly go on. That's not drilling oil in the middle of the South China Sea. I love it. I love it. Uh, any last remarks, Preston? No, I think there's so many moments throughout this as I was watching it that I would love to just call attention, bring some attention to. Uh, there's just parts in it that will just stay in my mind forever i feel like that and they hit at random times just like an inside out with the, the the gum that just pops up in your head like i think of the nurse that is saying like uh, with will Patton's character saying i'm lady i'm just here to drill and he's like oh me too and it's just like yeah there's just so many like really it's comedic it's, 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 yeah it's taking though yeah lovable moments in like a very stressful situation you know yeah, white white house, not white horse. All their little letters, not <laughs> want to pay taxes. That whole bit. Bring eight track back. It's just which, like which was a great story. I guess Michael Bay had them all write their own yeah. stuff down, and Bruce Willis just read it. <laughs> so that was great from them. I want to spend a week in the White House. <laughs> yeah, that the was white horse. One of my favorite sequences for sure. Yeah. Because it's genius. It's genius. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they totally should have like a 4K restoration of this. It, it wholeheartedly deserves it. I mean, it was a huge movie back then. And so it's kind of surprising that we're getting a lot of movies on 4K today that and this one hasn't yet. Um, so I f at this rate, at this rate, maybe Abyss and True Lies might be coming out before armageddon, armageddon before which is crazy yeah, yeah right there's some there's a little bit of rumblings for that but yeah it deserves it um it'd be so funny if criterion managed to pull this off because i feel like at this point they're just like we're, we're almost trying to erase that that movie exists in our criterion collection on dvd in the first place but um it would be pretty sweet if they were just like you know what we're gonna have a little fun we did wally even though wally's an incredible movie but they can have something of like that magnitude uh within their 4k collection again would be awesome with some really great extras um 
and uh, like behind the scenes documentary, like I was talking about with you. No, it would be earlier. great. Even bring back Michael Bay to be like, hey, this is a 20 minute extra of me telling you what I would want to do in the third act with storyboard, oh, animated storyboards. Like the amazing. I mean, they could do it. So, all right. It's Armageddon. Do we recommend this? Is this a big, highly recommended from our show? Yeah, I would say so. JD? I would definitely recommend it. Uh, I think you can I think you can stream it right now on HBO Max. Um, that's where I had my rewatch of it. But I mean, just like we've been saying the whole show, it's just so much fun. And it gives you just enough circumstance to, you know, care about the weight of the plot and care about how they're going to pull this off and who these people are versus what they have to go do. I think there's there's so much fun written in that, that even though there is a lot going on and it's very Michael Bay-ish of him to do this, I just, it's definitely worth worth a revisit for sure. I I totally agree. Highly recommended. Rewatch this. It's not as bad as the critics said or what you think of, you know, like it's, right. it is great. Um, hell yeah. Armageddon, Fear and Lillian and Cinema Podcast, once again, telling you, the movies that you once thought sucked are amazing. Um, JD Perry, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We want to have you back ASAP. Would you do that? Hey, man, this was my pleasure. I I really love this stuff. I could sit here and do this for hours, and I would be absolutely honored to come back again, for sure. Hell yeah. Well, spotlight's on you, bud. Tell everybody where they can find you. Man, you can find me at uh, at JDPerry05 on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think they use ads there, but either which way, I'm pretty easy to find on there. But uh, yeah, follow me for music, blogs, rodeo content, and everything cinema. Heck yes. And then, of course, you know, there's Preston. Preston, he's around. He's around there. He's doing amazing interviews, in-depth interviews. Even his short interviews are like so in-depth that I like to play drinking games with his interviews where, you know, every time the his subject says, great question, I have to take a drink. And then I'm drunk within 10 minutes because <laughs> he asked the best questions to everybody. So check him out on freshfiction.tv and the Denton Record Chronicle. He's really amazing at what he does. Film reviews. Uh, they're really good, even though I disagree with most of them. Not. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, hey, I yeah. still gave Mission Impossible a passing grade. You did, you did. I did like that movie. Uh, and you can check uh, us out on uh, my bloody podcast as well, talking about horror movies. You can check him out at the Denton Record Chronicle again and freshfiction.tv. He's Blu ray dad on Instagram and Preston Barta on Twitter. Uh, are you on TikTok yet? I do have a TikTok. I'm not super active on it. I put a couple of interviews. I'm not doing anything. I'm not being, I'm not doing what you do. I can't. You're, you're not taking your clothes do, off like me. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't be doing teases and things like that, but I'm at least just putting the exact same content that I put on Instagram that I'm more active with. Cool, cool, cool. And then me, highdefdigest.com, boomstickcomics.com. Check us out at check us out on threads we're on threads now. we're on threads now we got that sweet threads which i have no idea i'm just on it we're on tiktok uh brian kluger just look me up um and then no bs with brian and susan podcast all is good we'll be back next week with another fantastic summer blockbuster uh movie that you once might not have liked but now we're gonna tell you to enjoy it just like armageddon and thank you jd perry again
Yep. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Preston, for inviting me. Thank you, Brian. You're a great host. Uh, great show. So much fun listening to you guys. I do have to give just one little shout out to the intro music to your podcast. <laughs> Phenomenal. I cannot tell you how that often that gets stuck in my head on the way to work. It's just it's genius. I love it. Podcast. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was a fun one to come up with. Uh, we use the same a guy to do our my bloody podcast and it was basically just telling him like this is our show this is what it is and i'm feeling this and this and this and then he made it work and it was uh, very excited with it because it's really yeah. funny and it is catchy that's what we want yeah very catchy very good well thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week